Thank you for listening and welcome to the Life Radio Show, a proud member of the SJ Network and Realm of the Mist Entertainment. I'm your host, Don Smith. It was an absolute pleasure to welcome Kevin Phillips, President, Founder, and RN at the Nurses Guild of Florida. Along with guest co-host Nurse Susie, we talk healthcare and healthcare reform. If you enjoy the show, like and follow The Life 106.9 on Facebook and Don Smith Comedy on Twitter, or tune in live on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. on WWSU 106.9 FM, or you can stream the show live at WWSU1069.org. Overwhelms me. A brutal presence. The Life Radio Show is now brought to you in part by the Nurses Guild of Florida, experts in home health care. Go to thenursesguild.com for more information. This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner. All right. Hey, welcome to the Life Radio Show. I'm your host, Don Smith. We are zooming right along in another another fun-filled Zoom episode of the Life Radio Show because that's that's what we have now. And I want to welcome back to the show Nurse Susie is in as guest co-host today, and it's been a little while since she's been on the show. How are you doing, Susie? I'm doing great. Um, oh. This is a different tactic for the show, um, but... Uh, <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited about today's topic, and yeah, I'm just yeah, happy yeah. to be here. Oh, it's it's good to have you back. And I want to welcome the the, uh, the CEO of the Nurses Guild of Florida, who is uh, the Life Radio Show's new sponsor. I want to welcome and a, and a big thank you to Kevin Phillips. Welcome to the show, sir. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Now, uh, you uh, are the CEO of the Nurses Guild of Florida. Uh, how did that come about? I mean, how, what, was, what was the inspiration that got well, you started in that? I'm the CEO and the founder. I had been a critical care nurse, uh, ERs and ICUs, for about 25, 25 years. And I blew out my back. When you're a guy in nursing, Susie will agree with me, when you're a guy in nursing, you're everybody's back muscles. <laughs> you do all the transfers, you move the beds, all of that. All uh, the little help, yep. Yeah, so we I ended up with, with a very... True. Yeah, we create lift teams that are just men mainly, some women, but yeah, our lift people are very important to us. And in ERs, the transfers have to happen right away. You don't have time to organize a crew. You do you deal with what you've got. Um, right. So anyway, my, my back could not take that kind of work anymore, even though I mm. love that kind of work. I walk into an ER now, and the sounds of it make me feel like I'm at home. Right. But I can't, couldn't do that anymore. So I gravitated into home health, and I discovered I really liked it. For the first time in my life, I could do true nursing because I only had one patient in front of me. Oh, wow. And I could take care of all of their needs, not just insert their line and hang their bag and leave. Um, And it it was much more interesting. I was enjoying it. But I was frustrated in that I worked for agencies that would dictate how often I could see the patient. Mm. Back in 2004, 2005, Medicare started to send out an explanation of benefits to the patients. And for the first time, I could see what was being billed on my patients. 
I looked at the amount of money they were getting paid, calculated how many dollars were actually getting to the bedside in the form of visits, and it was about 15 cents on the dollar. Wow. 85% yes. of the money was being eaten up by non-clinical profit takers. Yes. That turned my stomach. There happened to be an opportunity in Florida in the early 2000s that anybody could apply for a Medicare license. So I went through all this, the rigorous state regulations and created a home health agency. Initially, it was from my practice and my wife's practice. That's all it was going to be there. We wanted to get the amount of money to the bedside increased. We got it up to about 60 cents on the dollar from 15. That was five times the care yeah. that we used to be able to give for the same <laughs> health care benefit. How many patients, did, how many beds did you have? Um, at that time, I was doing about 100 visits a week on a seven-day week. Wow. Okay. Um, I was medical. My wife was psych. She, her practice was about half my size. Her, her okay. business took a lot longer than mine. Psych takes time. It's a lot of talking. <laughs> and you have to build a trust relationship. It, it takes time to do. Medical is more acute problem to be solved. Right. Well, I got to um, have experience with that with you. Um, uh, not only am I the power of attorney um, of my mother, who is in, um, you know, a dementia care unit. Um, mm -hmm. She's in a nursing home. I had, you know, we started a system. We worked our way up and I get her bills and I am just staggered. I, and it's, it's still so bad. And what the doctors actually get is just even worse. Um, also, I worked with um, a, three different doctors um, in an office. And all like I only got to see them once or twice a week because they were at the nursing homes. Three um, mm -hmm. agents that we have here. Well, and after we started... My wife invited one of her friends, and then another person came, and we were doubling in size every year. To the, about five years later, we were a $10 million company. We'd never had anybody in a marketing position. We had no vice presidents. No, it, we were just visiting nurses. So we called it the Nurses Guild, and truly that's what it is. I'm, my nurses, are, I'm not their boss. I'm their partner. Mm. Um, if they have a problem they can't solve, they come to me. I help them solve it. It's that type of relationship. It was so refreshing among nurses that have been working for corporate home health that it just grew and grew and grew. Recent changes in regulations has eaten, given us more and more overhead. So right. now we're down to, to about 50 cents on the dollar gets to the bedside but that still beats anything near me it's gotten even to the point where medicare slapped our hands because we gave 30 percent more care did 30 percent more visits than the competition in 2019 they didn't like that i thought they would be thrilled i'm doing 30 percent more visits for the same benefit that the other people get and they're chastising me for it. It's wow. become a bizarro world in home health. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 
Now, recently, we've, we've had a big change. They put in a new, a new payment program called PDGM. They hadn't changed the payment method in home health since 2000. PDGM is the first and only health care plan to come out of the Trump administration. And what it changes is chronic care. Chronic care now does not get reimbursed anywhere near like it used to. It's to the point where if I have a fresh wound, and I put that as the primary diagnosis, and add a chronic care diagnosis, the benefit goes down for the same wound. There's other weird things in it, like if you're a wound patient coming from a hospital, you get reimbursed 30% more than if you're a wound care coming from a doctor's office. It's the same wound, requiring the same skill, same treatment. Yep. But that's the reality we're in now, and we're still trying to figure it out. Unfortunately, I've had some of my nurse, my nurse managers quit because their day became filled with angry family members saying, why can't I get the care I want? They don't blame Medicare, they blame the agency. So it's been a frustrating year. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're, you're going out and seeing patients with COVID as well. That's one of the things that you do. That's we have quite a number of COVID patients um, in the adult living facilities where my nurses are. After the first COVID case, there have been no more. This is good nursing. Yeah. Wow. I have a 150-bed unit in Palm Beach that has one COVID case, and we've kept it at one since March. Great. Continue. We have one in Broward County that initially discovered with four, and we've kept it at four. This mm. is what good nursing can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's if we're, if we're allowed to do our jobs. Right. Right. Now, if I limited my nurses and said, oh, no, you only can go there once a week, we wouldn't have those results. No. We get those results by being bedside every day. Well, yeah, you're, you're able to monitor a lot more closely if, you, if you're there. You know, <laughs> not, not being there is a big, that's, it's a lot harder to keep an eye on things. <laughs> and you would, think, you would think in a pandemic across the nation, home health nurses would be utilized to, to the, their fullest extent. Yeah. We're not getting used. Hmm. I've called my, my county health department every week since March saying, look, I've got 100 nurses here ready to help. What can we do for you? And it's always, we'll get back to you. They have never called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I offered them for free. They never called. Wow. I do not understand what we're doing. It doesn't make any medical sense to me at all. No, it doesn't. That's, that, there's a way too much questioning of, of the medical profession right now anyway. I mean, as far as just... Questioning by people that could not put on a Band-Aid if they had to. Right, exactly. That's the amazing... That, that, it just, it, it's mind-numbing. It's dumbfounding, it? I guess. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, but when, when history looks back at us, we are going to look like the stupidest generation to be ever born. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you think? What was that, Susie? I mean, I, I'm I'm 45. I've been a nurse for 19 years, and I'm like half and half on that because of you know the the science, you know, because of the science. Um, we wouldn't be where we're at. I'm sorry, I have a fly. Um, but, You're just hallucinating, right? <laughs> it could be. It's, 
I swear. Um, but no, I mean, I, I've worked with, in a lot of different um, modalities. Um, you know, the, the ER, I've been in oncology, uh, cardiothoracic, you know, step down units for open hearts. I've seen what medicine can do. And I love it that these nurses now that we are getting in are just so, I mean, they know so much. They know so much. Um, the educational but, level has gone up. It really has. It really has. And um, I'm like one that never wants to stop learning. You know, but I'm burnt out. I'm in a state uh, that's run by a science denier. I'm in Florida. Yeah. Uh, who, who just who just opened all the restaurants and all the bars three weeks from now we're gonna have a lot of sick people yeah. six weeks from now we're gonna have a lot of dying people yeah it, it's and i don't understand why they do this they say it's for the economy but it continues to kill the economy oh absolutely yeah we're not getting our economy back until we get COVID in a bottle yeah Right, well, that, right. in, in Ohio, uh, our governor in Ohio, he acted pretty quickly and yeah, he, he was seeing a lot of things down. Like and he was doing things, you know, but there were there were way too many people have just making way too much noise about it. And he backed down and pretty much reopened everything. So I have a suggestion since politicians don't seem to trust doctors, why don't we put nurses in charge of the COVID response? We will get it. Nurses will get it done. Oh, yeah. We are the ones who deliver health care. Yes. You ever watch the medical shows and there's five doctors around the bed and they're moving the bed and they're taking the patient up to surgery and all this stuff? That's all nurses' jobs. They have people playing doctors being nurses. If you go to an ER, there's maybe two docs in a 40-bed ER. There will be eight nurses. Yeah, and the doctors are either in the on-call room or they're back in the back. <laughs> yeah, the doctors spend a few, few yeah, minutes bedside to do an exam, and then they're sitting and writing. Yeah. But if, you, um, if you build a relationship with such a, whatever doctor that's on that floor that day or surgeon or whatever you have going on, if you have that relationship and show them you know, that you are competent to do this job, you know, you, yeah, you are strictly the messenger. He tells you, you know, how he wants things done, when he should be called, you know, and, um, you know, there's a lot of orders I'm signing. And um, I totally agree with you. I found that very true in home health. The doc has to trust you. Picture what, what yeah, home health is like. And I've been lucky enough to be there. And, you know, it's almost like a family because, um, you know, you're there 40 hours a week and you sometimes you bring it home and um, but you have to show that doctor that you're confident. Yeah, he's got to trust your assessment skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you're saying, whatever you tell him has got to be true. Think about yes. home, think about functioning in home health where you're functioning out of the front seat of your car. You have no x-ray. Yep. You have no lab work. The only thing you have are your assessment skills. And when you and after that visit, as you're walking back to your car, you have to think: Should I have hospitalized that patient or not? Mm-hmm. And certain of your decision. 
It's yeah, um, it's that, much easier. But for that reason, it is it's a very difficult area to be a home to be a nurse in because you are independent. You've got no net whatsoever. You don't even have enough, another nurse you can pull aside and say, "Look, I've seen this and this. What do you think?" Which right. we all do. Well, we need more nurse practitioners so they can write your orders. They're not allowed to in home health. I cannot admit yeah, someone to write orders, just not medication. They, they can't admit a patient. Okay. They can't order home health. You have to get it co-signed. They have a new program starting soon that just makes no sense at all. It's called RCD, and it's basically makes Medicare into an HMO. Oh, yeah. You have to go visit your patient, do your admission assessment, get the doctor to write a progress note, get all these papers signed. It costs about $500 to do. Then you put it into the Medicare portal to find out whether you'll get paid for it or not. Yeah. You have to make sure. Can it spend $500 on each customer on the hope of getting paid? And, you know, don't forget that yearly physical at the nursing home and the mochas, the mini mentals, all that gets sent to Medicare. So you can get $300 for the year. Right. Yeah. Medicare Medicare has been making a fundamental mistake for about 20 years now. Back in the early 2000s, Medicare discovered they had spent $1 billion just on diabetics. Mm Mm-hmm. And 90% of that money went to Dade County, Florida. Now, figure that one out. Huh. It was all fraud. Yeah. It was all someone sitting at a computer terminal, putting in diabetics because they were the highest paid patient. Medicare's response to that, they did send the FBI to arrest these people. But Medicare's subsequent response to prevent fraud is to invent paperwork. More signatures, more paperwork. People mm-hmm. that commit fraud are great at the paperwork because they don't have any patients to go visit. They can spend right. all their time on the paperwork. Right. Mm-hmm. It is their response to fraud causes fraud. Right. So I invented a, a, a way, and that's not the topic here, but it, it fits in, a way to prevent home, home health fraud completely using your telephone. You take a picture of your patient. You take a picture of yourself. Using facial recognition, it acknowledges who it is. From the GPS in the phone and the clock in the phone, you can guarantee this practitioner was with this patient at this time and place, which is important important in home health because people have to be homebound in order to qualify. So to commit fraud with a system like that, you'd actually have to go to each patient's house in order to fake it. Well, we do. I offer this to Medicare for free. I offered the technology to them for free. They turned it down. They'd rather do paperwork. That's crazy. And now 50 cents on the dollar of the home health benefit is going back to Medicare to prove it's not getting stolen from. It's insane. We are wasting so many healthcare dollars, so many, just smoothing over, rubbing the shoulders of Medicare. It doesn't make any sense. And... I'm at the end of my career, and I am so frustrated that I have not been able to affect this industry and make it better. I was able to increase the the amount of patient care, but that's only locally within my organization. 
Right. It's not across the board. We need to make that happen. We, we need more of you, more people like you. <laughs> well, we've, we've advanced in technology now to such an extent that we can, we can eliminate fraud. Just with, a, just with a simple app, we can eliminate fraud. I'll give you an example. I was an ER nurse. I admitted a lot of patients to the hospital. What I needed to admit someone to a hospital was a doctor's order, an ER sheet showing a physical exam, and right. a permission to treat from the patient. Three doctors. Right. right. To admit someone for a stub toe in the home health, I have to generate 60 pages of documents mm -hmm. with 18 separate signatures. And now Medicare is saying if the doctor's signature doesn't look like the original doctor's signature, they're They'll not, reject. They're rejected. What doctor's yep. signature stays the same? It changes yep. by how busy he is that day. Yep. Yeah. For my docs, we had, yeah, I experienced that with my nursing home docs. I don't know what and, we're going to do because we've got insanity ruling healthcare and it is eating up most of our dollars. Look at all the dollars hospitals have to spend to placate insurance companies. All the regulations, all the paperwork, just to placate the insurance company that they're not getting stolen from. Right. Do that electronically and use that, those paperwork dollars for patient care. Their costs will go down. But it's hard. You can get one individual to agree with you, but to get... Centers for Medicare Studies to agree with you. It's so politically run yeah. that up is not up is is down and down is up. Uh, seems to yeah. be. Again, as I said, I'm a frustrated practitioner. <laughs> I'm sure it comes across. You know, you're not the only one, and um, you know you're pretty passionate about this. And you know, I'm sitting here racking my brain, like, what what could we do to get this out there? Um, you know, like I said, I have my mother in a facility. I'm a nurse. I work with nursing home docs. Um, I totally understand where you're at. And so now I'm just, like, on a mission to, you know, voices need to be heard. The approach has to be how we do it in the Nurses Guild, that the home health benefit is the patient's property, not ours. Right. We right. are just charged with delivering it to them in the form of healthcare, but it's their property. Most of the agencies act like it's their dollars. Right. If we and change this, if we have just that paradigm shift, that the insurance benefit is the property of the patient, not the hospital. Yeah. It changes the perspective a great deal. Oh yeah. That would. Yeah. I don't know how you change change these people but boy they need to be changed yeah i think healthcare in general is just, it's become so political just like everything else and it's just when you get the insurance companies involved the politicians just bureaucracy on top of bureaucracy and, and big pharma. and yeah you know, medicare's employ employment goes up every year it grows and grows and grows now, since they have every case being reviewed, imagine how many people they have to have to review every home health case in America. There's over a billion visits a year in this country. And they're going to review every one? That's just not efficient. Nope. <laughs> so that, that 50 cents on the dollar is going to go to 60 cents on the dollar. Yeah, so I what agree. Is the, 
what is the benefit for? Is the benefit to keep Medicare people employed or is it to treat patients? I would say it's, you know, to keep them employed. From what I understand, there's only, they, they like hand pick, like they just pick out a couple people to review. That to used to be, that used to be ADRs, um, request for additional information. They would spot check. Yeah. And we always came through those in flying colors. But if you sure. have to fail one, then they ask for 20 more. Right. Which is good, because if you fail one, maybe you're not a good practitioner. Right. That was a reasonable way of doing it. But with RCD, it's a review of every case before you do the first visit. Mm-hmm. Which can, this can take up to two or three weeks. If I've got a right. wound I need to take care of, I can't wait two or three weeks. Right. It takes, take care of that wound and maybe not get paid for it. So I'm paying for the health care. Right. Not the patient, not, not Medicare, me. It's right out of my pocket. Yeah, because you cannot not treat them. No, it's, know, against, it's against the law for me to, to walk away from a patient. Mm-hmm. But it's not against the law for them not to pay for a patient. Oh, no, not at all. But still, I have to see that patient. So I'm a charity now. Yeah. Well, nurses started, started as charity. We're going to end as charity. I'm sorry. <laughs> there's not going to be much money left for us. No, there's not. Now, the chronic diagnosis are starting to deny. So the psych patient that gets a visit from a nurse once a week to get an, an injection for an antipsychotic. Okay. Now, in order to qualify for Medicare, that psychiatric patient had to have a severe enough diagnosis to be considered unemployable. Right. They get put on injections when there is a history of non-compliance taking their pills. Oh, okay. We started doing this about three years ago. Hospitalization rates went way down. They're going to stop us from doing that. Sure. Of course. So now, You're getting now they have to go to the hospital when they have a psychotic break, which will happen yeah. with their disease. Because they want to get paid. And one day in the hospital, one day in the hospital would pay for a year of home health. Yeah. Yes. So what the hell are we doing? It, it, it makes about as much sense as our COVID response. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, we'll have, we'll have yeah. a way to fix it. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. That's why I'm glad I'm a maintenance guy. I know how to fix things. <laughs>
So I was just, I was just lying in bed and I was thinking about something. So, so there's a lot of people who are just like, you know, we're so much about everything having to be perfect all the time that they kind of miss the magic. It's uh, going on around them. Like some people just get so caught up, you know, trying to trying to cross their eyes and dot their T's that they kind of miss the, the whole point of the sentence entirely. So, you know, stop waiting for everything to be perfect. Just sort of enjoy what you got. Okay. I'm going to go back to bed now. The following is an announcement from the Nurses Guild of Florida. Home health aides or nurses invited in your home is an important issue family-wide. Where you get your private duty service is of critical importance. Did you know hiring a friend of a friend or even a recommendation from your church puts you and your family at risk for workers' compensation? A back injury will cost sixty dollars to $100,000 and a slip and fall up to three times that amount. Do you know if the caregiver in your home has a history of abuse, neglect, or theft? Do they have a history of drug abuse or have an addiction? The Nurses Guild conducts full Level 2 criminal background checks. Is the labor law particular to home care being obeyed, or are you unknowingly setting up your estate for claims of unpaid time and a half? Why not get your private duty from a five-star Medicare Home Health Agency, the experts at home care? You get properly trained and supervised personnel, workman's compensation coverage, criminal background checks, proper adherence to applicable labor law, all to shield you from lawsuits. All of our home health aides and nurses are fully screened, supervised, and COVID tested. Here at the Nurses Guild, we have nurses from every specialty. No matter what your diagnosis, we have the right caregiver for you. Call the Nurses Guild today to arrange your home health visit at 954-596-9806 for Broward County and 561-826-8937 for Palm Beach County. Remember, health care put off is health care too late. Stay safe during the pandemic. Wear a mask and insist those around you wear a mask. Wash your hands frequently and stay home as much as possible. Hey, this is Don Smith. I want to take a minute to tell you about The Devil's Apple, a new book by my friend William Morris. It's the true and brutally honest story about Bill's own battle with addiction. It was written for those struggling to overcome addiction as well as those watching a loved one struggle. In Bill's own words, you work just as hard to be an addict as you do to be clean and sober. You can find The Devil's Apple on Amazon.com and for a limited time you can get it for free on the Kindle app. What's Your Effin' Binge is a podcast brought to you by Chris, Anchor, and Spotify. And what we talk to our guests about is what they're currently binge-watching on TV. And uh, what we do is we like to uh, take a different approach. I don't want to know what the name of the show is that they're going to talk about before they come on. I have to actually guess it. So I ask them who, what, when, where, why, and uh, try to figure out what it is that they're watching. A lot of times I'm able to guess it. And sometimes I'm not, and that's fine. That adds to the comedy of the show. We like to bring our guest on, whether they're a model or an actress or a producer or a musician, and just let them have a platform to be able to tell everybody what they have coming up next and also entertain everybody with what's worth watching. So I hope everybody tunes in for the next episode of What's Your Effing Binge. Thanks. It's Chris. 
Hi, this is Haywood Banks at Wiley's Comedy Club in Dayton, and you're listening to the Life Radio Show at WWSU, Dayton's Right Choice. We'll have, we'll have yeah. a way to fix it. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. That's why I'm glad I'm a maintenance guy. I know how to fix things. <laughs> the paperwork burden. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Oh, oh, someone going to the hospital for a heart transplant has half the paperwork of someone with a stub toe in home health. It makes no sense. It really doesn't. And it's killing the industry. Nurses are so tired of the paperwork burden. When we came, when we started in 2006, we instantly went to electronic records. It was a program I wrote. We all used it. And then a, a company called Access came along and had done it so much better than us, we started using theirs. Right. So it's electronic. But still, it takes hours. It's not faster. Mm-hmm. You can do it faster on paper than you can do it electronically because of all the little rabbit holes you end up going down. Right. Hmm. Well, it's a lot quicker on paper, I think, for assessments because of the paper, the way we have the paper set up. You know, you're just you're check, checking check, boxes. sign and pass it on over you know, get it scanned into their charts, you know, someone else's job. But, uh, but you know, I don't know. I'm 50-50 because I was in the hospital when we started EMR at Kettering Medical Center. And um, there's certain things that I love because it gets it right there to that department really fast. You know, we can order labs. For my nursing home patients, I can order labs and send it to them instead of waiting you know, for the doctor to sign an order, um, you know, because what if we need? We, we have we have EMR systems, but they're not integrated. We need, oh, we need, no. we need that, to that integrate them to a single database so that everything that medically happens to me is available to any practitioner that is treating me. Mm-hmm. Right, that's good. Because if I'm admitted to Holy Cross Hospital for one one heart attack, and the next one, the closest hospital is Broward General, they don't get to see each other's records. Not because we're in a different systems. Right. So if I'm not conscious to tell them my history, they don't get my history. They don't get your history. And that could kill me. Yeah. Absolutely. If there's an allergy on, uh, on the patient that is not known to the new hospital, it could be fatal very easily. Why don't we have a central database? See, here in Ohio, though, we even have it though for we credit. Have... Look, we have, have a central database for credit. Right. We? For banking, for driving, uh, yeah. Yeah. for criminal justice, but not for medicine. Why not? Um, we have one. I mean, we, I can see anything from anybody in all of state of Ohio's, if I had to look for... Well, you do. They're integrated there. Yeah. You yeah. guys are more, more advanced than we are down here. We can even look at, you know, I was, you know, four hours away in Cleveland, Ohio, at, you know, Hoosier Hospital, and I had, you know, these MRIs, you know, I'm seizing, I don't know why, or whatever. We can get those images. If you know to ask, you had to ask for them. Someone had yeah. to call your previous hospital and ask them to be transmitted. Mm-hmm. What if, you, we were, can, what if we, you were unconscious and couldn't tell them that? 
They wouldn't have got. We search the patient's name and date of birth, try to find the right one. <laughs> That's really, you know, it where we're at. Like you, have a, you have a better system than I'm experiencing here. But there's something about Florida I noticed when I moved down here from Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, I worked in teaching hospitals for about Ooh. 10 years. I yeah. love them because you kept learning every day. Yes, that's how I'm, I'm, I'm seeing meds that I hadn't seen in 10 years. It was like stepping back 10 years in medical practice. Mm -hmm. I had the most, my first shift here was as a NICU nurse. I, I did an intensive care nursery at Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. I did an, a NICU patient and I got a patient that had a diaphragmatic hernia, a new, newborn baby, beautiful. Mm -hmm. In Philadelphia, we had ECMO machines. I helped do the research on ECMO in, at, at Jefferson. So I knew there was a machine that could save this baby's life, but it wasn't in Florida, it was in Philadelphia. I was not allowed to tell the patient's family. Oh, wow. They forbid me from telling them to put this kid on a plane and get it to Philadelphia. You could save your baby. A three-hour flight. The baby died 12 hours later for the lack of a, of a piece of equipment. Now, the ECMO machines were reasonably new then. This is back in the mid-90s. Mid right. But they did exist. I had to sit with a family holding a dying baby, knowing it could be saved, and was forbidden from saying anything to them. It's the last shift I ever did in a NICU. I just couldn't do them anymore. Yeah, peds is hard for me. Particularly after you have kids. I did most of my NICU before I had kids. Once I had Smart. kids, yeah, it hurt more. It hurt a lot. Pete's hurts a lot more when you got your own kids. Oh yes. It's it's a it's a tough ward anyway. When I worked at the hospital full time in maintenance, I mean, of course, I, I had to fix things in the NICU too, and that is always a tough area to go into. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it though. What a challenge! It mixed uh, mixed my love of technology. And, and the durability of these children is amazing. I used to be able to, do you know what, how to comp, compute a dopamine dose? Have you ever come across that? Milligrams per kilogram per minute? Oh, yeah. I got so good, I could do it faster in my head than you could do it on a calculator. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because I did it so frequently. That's awesome. But, of course, I've lost that skill. I haven't used it. Uh. But the... I love the challenge of high-tech nursing. All yes. Keeping all the lines straight, knowing what every, every piece of machinery was for, how to, how to use it, how to get the best out of it. And mostly in, in ICUs, I had patients that, could, that couldn't talk. Almost everybody's on a vent. Yeah. And they'll never remember you. No. No one ever remembers the unit nurse. No. no, they were there, but they don't remember the nurse. No. So you were doing it for almost all the right reasons. You weren't going to get any kudos from the family. You weren't going to get any recognition from, from the community. But it, You're lucky to see the family again. So. Yeah, nowadays, no one can visit. So yeah. They're not seeing families at all. I can't imagine what kind of stress nurses are in COVID hospitals now with the worry of the, for their own family's health as well as their patients not getting being given adequate enough equipment to protect themselves oh. these people are heroic 
beyond anything you could ask a man to do on a battlefield. Man on the battlefield isn't putting his family at risk. Well, you take an oath and right. You, if you're passionate about the job, you've anybody refusing to do it, have you? No. Never. And these are nurses that are putting their own lives on the line, the lives of their children, the lives of their parents on the line to do a job that is horrendously underpaid. Yep. I don't know. Everyone a says lawyer, A lawyer is worth $300 an hour. What is he risking? Is his, his health at risk? Is his family at risk? No. But we're going to pay a nurse $30 an hour? It just doesn't make sense. Wow. It's, it's, it is so wrong for society. We, we, we value the, and give high pay to the wrong people. Absolutely. A CEO that makes $68 million a year to run a company? Come on. I, yeah, it's, um, it's hard. Uh, the, head of Disney, the head of Disney gets $68 million while he has people working in his parks for minimum wage. Things are wrong in this country. Bad. You know, We're out of balance. You know, the teachers are the same way. I mean, I have to shout out for the teachers because. Right. Yeah, teachers, the same boat. Any female-dominated career field gets paid pennies. If nursing was male-dominated, we would have been unionized back in 1950. Sure. Right. sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to have a union. <laughs> I have thought that when I retire and I'm, I'm bored, that that's my, might be what I do is start unions. There you go. <laughs> time has come. Time has come. Ohio? Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you could be a union for ten dollars. You could be a, a member of a union in nursing for ten dollars a month and get re and get very good representation. Exactly. Scares the hell out of the owners. Oh, absolutely. That's. Oh yeah, because. Every, I mean, they're good, you know, these nurses that don't give a crap about their jobs and are not passionate about what they need to do and don't continue to, you know, get their continuing education and stuff. They'll get weeded out real fast if there was the right. union. Right. We, we would self-police very quickly. Very quickly. We, we could call it the COVID union. <laughs> there you go. I'm in. I mean, I'm in. All right, let's start it. I'll pay you ten bucks a month. Let's go. <laughs> if if it's what I got to do, I would definitely do it in a heartbeat. It's time is here because I I really think nursing is undervalued. Look at what we have to do. A, a, a lawyer goes to school, learns the law. The law doesn't change too much over his career. We go to school. Everything I learned in 1970, I had to relearn in the 80s, relearn in the 90s, because it changed. We know more. We've discovered more. We have new but machines. You want that. You want to continue to learn, yes. though. Oh, it's, it's a really exciting career field because it's continually mentally stimulating. But think, of, think what other career field has to relearn every decade. Usually, once you start your career, you learn a few years, you're good for the whole life of your career. Right, right. Driving trucks doesn't change much. Policing, right. maybe the laws change a little bit. But medical, we, 
always new new ways of imaging, new ways of seeing things, um, X-rays that now that we used to have to dip dip and develop are come instantly on a screen. You used to have and to I wait ten minutes for a X-ray. Right. So we constantly have to be educated and keep up to date. We're one of the few career fields that has that burden, yet we're paid crap. I so agree. To me, it's one of the most demanding professions one can get into. Oh, yeah. Because it's constantly changing, constantly evolving. And it requires you not only to be present, but puts you at risk of catching diseases that you would not catch if you didn't have this job. I had. That's, that's really. Until I developed a health issue, um, I didn't care. I was always ready to armor up and go into our TB rooms. And I mean, you, you basically have to be that passionate yeah. <laughs> to do the job and love it for 20, 30 years and, you know, continue to educate. You know, you want all of that. And and if you, but if you get a disease at work, you're not going to get workman's comp. No. You're going to say, no. oh, you caught that someplace else. Mm -hmm. I got cytomegalovirus in the late 80s. That's oh, a, yeah? That's a cat virus. Yeah. That's the cat scratch fever or something, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Mimic depression. I got put on antidepressants. And if I hadn't, I keep my own lab work. I keep every piece lab result I have in a booklet. Looking back through my lab work, I noticed that, hey, my white count has been high for three years. It's not because of the stress of the visit or the event. My white count is too high and my differential was off. Yes. I ended up diagnosing myself, which has happened in my family many times because we paid attention and collected our own lab work. Yeah. That's very smart. Yeah, I, I watched my. I'm sure I caught that at work, but there was no way I could get workman's comp for it. I didn't own any cats. I don't like cats. So I had to have caught, caught that at work. Right. But yeah. they, put, they put the burden of proof on you, and right. there's no way to prove that that, yeah, that's. Any nurse that gets COVID probably got it at home, according to the hospital attorney. Right. Absolutely. That's how we get screwed. If we had a union. We could protect ourselves. Exactly. But we're, we're totally undefenseless. undefenseless. But you know, um, I you know I have to get you know the chest X-rays for the TB now, the TB tests, or get the quadrifarin gold lab work done because you have a reaction. PPD. I went back to it, and it wasn't until after I spent a lot of time on the pulmonary unit in the hospital. Um, before that, they were always negative. You know, um, I was diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia almost seven years ago. God bless. Had nothing to do with that. But, you know, paying attention to your lab work and knowing what things are, that's so important. You know, while people are getting chest x-rays two feet away, had nothing to do with you getting cancer, huh? <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's the environment nursing works in. And it, it needs to change. And I think post-COVID, once COVID is done, we're, we're going to have some really angry nurses out there. Yeah. Well, I, I think because of COVID, 
there needs to be a lot of things reevaluated in the medical field, and a lot of and a lot of the nursing field needs to be reevaluated. Has there ever been an attempt at a union, or have the nurses yeah. always just been too busy to? California, California has a nursing union. Oh, okay. It's uh, not because the nurses are too busy. It's because the facility right. is scared to have the union. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, it, it, any of the facilities are scared to have a union involved. The, the, 1099 union, the 1099 union, you probably were a member of when you worked hospital maintenance, tried to organize in Philly. And what the hospitals did was they come down and say, okay, if you enter this union, union they're going to spend your money on this. They're going to spend your money on this car. This vice president, they take month-long vacations. You only get two weeks. They they denigrate the union so badly that people say, "I don't need that." Yeah, I, I haven't been in the ma- in the maintenance field. I have not been part of a union other than when I did work at uh, Wright State University for a brief period. I was part of the union there. Uh, I one of the places I worked when I was younger. I made an attempt to unionize. And it was uh, it was kind of funny. It eventually led to my getting fired, but I <laughs> for another reason they were able to find. But uh, my fa- my father was a hospital orderly. Yeah, and in in New York, and he worked oh. jobs. He worked three to eleven at one hospital and twelve to eight at Pilgrim State, the state mental institution. Oh, nice! He, he had eight children. He had worked. Two jobs to support eight kids. In the mid-60s, the 1099 union came into existence in New York. They doubled his income. Wow. He was getting minimum wage to be a hospital orderly. Minimum wage to sit on a psych ward from 12 to 8, a locked psych ward. So the union made a big effect on his level of working. But the hospital convinced nurses they were professionals. Professionals don't unionize. So the nurses didn't get in. Bull crap. (laughs) I I think there's a lot that needs to be changed in American medicine. Absolutely. It is is too profit-driven. Profit's a nice thing, but it's not the only thing. And most hospitals are driven for profit only. They will cut corners that should never be cut to enhance profit. And no one is looking over their shoulder about it. Doctors, doctors and surgeons that can only spend two minutes with you because they're so busy are just so damn greedy, they won't slow down, cut their, the amount of patients they're doing so they can spend some time with you and explain what they're going to do. We, we should not allow surgeons only so many hours in the OR a week. The rest of the time should be tearing for their patients out of the OR. But they want to be in the OR 60 hours a week. That's regulated, though. I mean, um, working with the, you depends know, our on the state. It really depends on the state. Oh, we definitely have it regulated. Um, you know, they do see their patients. You know, that's quality, you know, that, that whole quality care thing that they have to you know do for insurances as well um i'll I'll tell you something kind of funny that i do when i go to a doctor's office and if i'm waiting longer than 30 minutes i start getting very loud about why should i trust this doctor with my health care if he can't manage his time (laughs) it's 
9.30 in the morning. Why are you an hour late? Right? Yeah. Ask your doctor that. Why should I trust you if you can't manage your time? I keep my doctors on, on task. I was a home health nurse going to 10 different places in a day, and I was never late once to a visit. And I had to drive from place to place. But I had, I had to drive from place to place. Yeah, that's really good. I go, I mean, see, I, my, I go see my GP, uh, GP, and I'm the second visit of his day, and he's already behind. Yeah. <laughs> it drives me insane. I could that's not function that way professionally. They overbook them. They book each, you know, every patient every five minutes. It's fast food medicine these days. That's yeah. why that's happening. Well, I'll show up late, late an hour every day for your shift at work and see how long you work. Right. Yeah. It's a totally different, though. It's a totally different modality. They, they, like I said, these doctors, the older they are, they spend five minutes. They have their patients scheduled every five minutes. There's I, no. I was in a dermatologist, and the front desk lady was saying the doctor had had an emergency room, and I told her, "I'm oh. a certified emergency nurse. There are no dermatological emergencies." <laughs> Period. <laughs> I've definitely been stuck in that boat, you know, where, you know, of course, you know, if it's until, open heart, until, open heart. Until we speak up and start making it uncomfortable for them to do that to us, they are going to continue to do it. So please speak That's up. True. Be the obnoxious jerk that I am in the way <laughs> It will benefit the other patients. Absolutely. Yeah, one of us has. I love you to death. <laughs> I can tell you would be my favorite patient every day. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm about to become a, a patient. I'm ha having back surgery. Oh. He wants to put oh, me. He's going to put me in an ICU for 36 hours and then do the second part of the operation. Oh wow! Probably because probably he can make more money doing it that way. But I'm going to sure. be in an ICU for the first time as a patient. And I won't be able to sleep in an ICU. I've done hundreds of 16-hour shifts in ICUs, and my brain is trained not to fall asleep in that environment. Yeah. Well, the sound well, of the will wake me up every time. Yeah. Just pass all the, you know, all the tests, and they'll send your hiney home. You know how insurance is. I've, I've told the surgeon, look, you're going to have to keep me snowed for 36 hours or I'm going to be a very bad patient. You will be. It'll be yeah. fine. You know what to do to get that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but and also remember, you're going to probably, after back surgery, you'll probably gain a couple inches in your height again. Hopefully. I have vertebrae that are aligned about like this. Oh, yeah. Uh, you better get your pants hemmed. <laughs> they tell me I might have to learn how to walk again. Wow. Because uh, muscles on one side are, are short and long on the other side, and when they move them to the middle, the, the muscles aren't going to be working properly. Yeah. You'll, you'll do fine. I can tell. Uh, I can like, tell. I can by force of will alone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe that. Well, we, we have been going for over 50 minutes. We did not take a break, and I'm totally cool with that. I, <laughs> I had fun. 
That, that's that's good. It, it was great talking to you and getting to know you a little bit. I know I, I didn't say a whole lot, but, uh, you know, my guest co-host was definitely going. And that's, I don't think you <laughs> express this stuff very often. Yeah. It, well, I, I appreciate you being on the show. It was really great talking to you. I look forward to talking to you again Thursday. And we'll, we'll talk about some more things with Medicare, and we'll talk about the veterans. Well, I started as a medic, a Vietnam era medic. That's what got me into medicine to begin with. Wow. Okay. And, awesome. Uh, I'm pretty passionate about how vet, vets are treated. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we need. Yeah. That's what keeps going. I, back in the late 70s, I had to hide that I was a vet to get a job. They didn't want to hire vets. They thought we were all crazy. Oh, not. Crazy yeah. or drug addicts. Yeah, yeah, you were a risk. Yeah, you actually had to hide that you were a vet. Yep, I've heard but that. What, yes. At least now, America appreciates the vets. Yeah. Right. But certainly don't appreciate them enough to pay for them. Yeah. Working on it, I guess. A work in progress. We, we've made a lot of progress in our treatment of vets. We just need to... Uh, yeah, there's a recent change Recent change I want to talk about Thursday that gives vets a lot more opportunities. Okay, Excellent. good. Good. Well, it's well, been great. Guys, I enjoyed talking with you immensely. Absolutely. Well, well uh, talk to you again. Yep, thanks for being on. We'll see you again Thursday. And thanks for listening to the Life Radio Show. Uh, like I keep telling you guys, if you're going to keep listening, I'm just going to keep making them. All right, have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Life Radio Show podcast. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, if you want to listen live, we are on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. on WWSU 106.9 FM. You can also stream the show live at WWSU1069.org, and we go Facebook Live at the Life Radio Show's Facebook page. If you have suggestions or comments, feel free to email thelife1069 at gmail.com. Overwhelms me. A brutal presence. Oh, there we are. Okay.